So we're, we're, we're landing this theme of sustain together. And I am, um, you know, very much interested in talking about something that may not uh, be, uh, well, I'd like to think about something in a little different way that may be actually rather common for us. Um, And I got to thinking about this some time ago, and we're going to explore this account by a man named Elijah. But last night, my wife and I got the opportunity to go to the Cirque du Soleil. Um, And I had never been and one of her coworkers had purchased tickets and they weren't able to go. And so they said, why don't you and your husband go to Circus Soleil? And they gave them to us. And so we thought, yes, we're going. Uh, it's free and they're in town. I don't think they, they come in town every year. And so let's make this happen. And so I remember making our way to the Circus Soleil and going into the tent and seeing all the signs saying Volta. I didn't know what that meant, but I didn't care. It was free. And <laughs> I've never been to the Cirque du Soleil, and I was excited. And so I remember sitting there, and I, I got my popcorn. And, and it's a very intimate circle. It's just the, the way it's designed, it makes you feel, I'm sure many of you have gone, but it, it just makes you feel like no matter what seat you have, it's a good seat. And so, and there's a center stage in the middle. And I remember just sitting there and just feeling like a kid a little bit. And then, and then witnessing these people come out and just do things that... Uh, well, I didn't know the human body was able to do. They started being acrobatic, you know, and the theme was X Games, and they were trying to talk about the individuality coming out of freedom and conformity, and they were, they were expressing this, right? And they were doing just unbelievable things. And some of these people, you know, I, it, the, it just, something happened. I, I noticed that I wasn't the only one experiencing this. That they would do something on the stage. They would, a person would walk out on the stage and all of a sudden they would grab a rope and they would fly into the air, 30 feet in the air. And they would twirl and do all these different moves. And, and, and they looked like, like they were being tugged by wires, but they weren't. They were just hanging on with one arm. And something inside of me thought, I don't know, this isn't right, you know. Is this safe? Like, is this okay? You know, something inside of me just started doing that, right? And then, they, and then they, they, they like would flip and, and twirl and everything, and then they would land. And I was just like, they, they would land. And when they landed and everything was okay and they were alive and breathing, and, and something would happen to me and it would happen to everybody. This, this word would come out. It's like, wow, right? It's just like, it just like came out of me. And, they, and then these, these guys came out with bicycles, BMXs and ramps and you know, you see people at the, by the ferry building, building and everything, you see people on videos, but it's a different thing altogether to see it live in front of you, where somebody just jumps off a ramp and looks like they just threw the bike in the air, and somehow that bike returned right underneath them as they landed, you know, and, and do these things that just continue to say, I just felt like, wow, this, this is all, and there were times when I would cringe, my wife and I would just like, no! They landed, yeah, you know, and we just feel these things, right? And I remember feeling this and on the way home thinking to myself, this is one of the rare moments. The reason I share this is one of those rare moments where I would witness something like a sporting event where I didn't think to myself, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been to basketball games. I've watched basketball games and I thought, yeah, I could, th- I could, I could shoot a hoop, you know, I could dribble a ball. I've, I've never, I, I remember last night just, you know what I'm not thinking? Yeah, I can do that. But beyond that, I, I remember not thinking, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> I, I want to do what they just did, you know? I want to risk my life that way, you know? And, and I wish I could tell you they looked normal like you and I, but they don't. <laughs> you know, the, the muscle definition is unbelievable. And they almost feel otherworldly. 
And in a way, they, they exhibited one of the highest levels of physical potential in a human being. And, and to witness them, I, it's, it's worthy of applauding. It's worthy of, of, of admiring. It's worthy of saying, wow, now that is amazing. It's inspiring. But it's never something I could say, I could do it. It just feels out of reach. And I share that because I think a lot of times, you know, I think of what we read in the scriptures. If we have any knowledge or experience with coming in terms with the people who lived in these scriptures, which, by the way, is a library of books. It is not a single book, but it's a library of books with different accounts of different people. People, by the way, that, whose flaws are never hidden, but they live lives that are quite remarkable. And if we're not careful, we witness their lives and we might think to ourselves, you know what? That's amazing. It's honorable. It's, it's virtuous, it, it's, it's worthy of applauding, but you know what? I don't think I could do it. It's otherworldly. It's just beyond reach. And it would be a lie for me to tell you that, um, you know, any of us could do what the acrobats did last night. All you have to do is believe. That would be a lie. <laughs> But it would be equally a lie for me to tell you that what we see people live out and walk out in the scriptures is impossible for us to live into and to step into. Because if there is one thing they have in common, people who, who accounts that we might admire, different people that, that stand out to us from this book, it, it, and with the athletes and the professionals and the artists all around us, not just in Cirque du Soleil, but all around our culture, we are inundated with the top level of what humanity can do in so many different places of talent. If there is something that is similar between these two groups of people, is that they had a way of life that is most likely different than ours. And there was something of a, 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 there's a degree of intention that is different. There's a degree of focus. There's a degree of discipline that's brought into how they walk their lives out. Last night was not the first time they did this. Easily more than 10,000 times, we're told. And so, if we are to step into what this faith journey looks like in terms of what we are supposed to carry out beyond a moment in time, but actually live what we have to do many times, what it requires us is to step into a different way of life. And one of the things I'd like to suggest in our time here is that one of the keys to a sustaining faith journey is to start to change how we view prayer and to shift it out of a segment or a point or a gathering or a place or someone else's thing and shift it into something that we view as a way of life. In the same way that the body needs to breathe, prayer is breath for the soul. It's wind for our sails. Always meant to help us move forward. Always. If you open up your handout, we'll check out one of these accounts of the prophet Elijah, who is a man I've been exploring each time I've been able to share around this theme. 
We'll just jump into it in 1 Kings 18. And we're told here in verse 1 that after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And in the third year, saying, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. And now the famine was severe in Samaria. What we have to understand is that what the author of this account is assuming is that we would know that Elijah actually ended up stepping into the human domain and into the public square and spoke to the king of Israel and said, you know what? God wants to get your attention. You've turned away from him. And so he's going to try to get your attention by impacting the environment in which you live. He's going to suck up all the water. And there's a drought being proclaimed. And he left that gathering, that meeting with the king, and he hid himself by a river. And after a course of events, three years later, God spoke to Elijah, who is his spokesman. And he says, I want you to go show yourself to the king. And I want you to tell him, I've got your attention now. I'm going to send rain. I'm going to send rain. Because in those days, rain was a powerful conduit of life. And famine was an equal opportunist. See, famine... Drought meant simply more than not having fresh water. It meant not having grain, vegetation, food, cattle, or livestock. Drought impacted both rich and poor, privileged and marginalized. So now with the entire nation, plus those in the royal courts, attentive and ready to listen, because of God's love for them, Elijah steps into the scene. God sends him and he says, I want you to go tell them that rain is coming. And so he goes and he has this power encounter between those who suggested there was a different way of attaining true life and those who who were trying to be faithful to God. And they had this power encounter where Elijah says, you know what you guys are like? Your passion for life, has it's, it's been so dwindled. It's been so radically pummeled down. You're like this drenched sacrifice here. It, it won't light. It won't ignite. Nothing in it has, speaks of the ability to be able to be combustible. Nothing of passion exists in you. And yet, I'm going to pray to God. And you're going to see what's going to happen. And fire came down from heaven and consumed not just the sacrifice, but everything around it and licked up every drop of water. And everybody witnessing this miracle dropped to their knees and they said, God's real. And God is real. Elijah stepped into that moment and dealt out one of the severest consequences for those who dared abuse people in the name of religion, which is what the religion of Baal did in their day, and dealt out capital punishment. Children were abused. Adults were abused and mutilated in the name of that worship. uh, The leaders of that need to suffer consequences, and it's just this raw encounter. And out of that, we're told in verse 41 that Elijah said to Ahab right here in 1 Kings 18, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the Mount of Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. This this contrast is given in which Elijah sends the king of Ahab, the king of of Israel, Ahab, and he says to him something rather interesting. He says to him, hey, I want you, you who have not been faithful 
you have not trusted in God, you have, who don't deserve this, I want you, I want you to go have a meal. And I want you to behave as though there's no famine in the land. Don't, like, behave as there's no concern. There's no reason. I want you to go, and I want you to, to watch what's about to happen. Enjoy your meal, King Ahab. And here's the deal. It's not a setup. The other shoe is not about to drop. It's a pure expression of God's goodness. To the king who doesn't deserve it, he says, I want you to go. I want you to have your meal. And then the contrast, the contrast. I want you to passively watch and receive what's about to happen because, and then Elijah says this, he says, do you hear the sound of rushing like rain? There was no rain. There was no water coming from the sky. But Elijah seemed to be connected to something very different than Ahab was. And Elijah, we're told, that as the king is sitting in his, perhaps his throne that had been set up for him, enjoying a luxurious meal as kings would do in that day, feasting in the midst of a famine, what do we do? What do we see? We see Elijah. He says he, he goes up to Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees to pray. And as he's praying, as he's calling on God, you know what he, what he, he says in verse 43? He said to the servant, go up now. Perhaps after a little bit of time, look toward the sea and see if you see anything. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And so Elijah continued to pray. And as he continues to pray on behalf of his king, who doesn't deserve it, on behalf of a land that is drought, infested with disease, no less, and famine and lack and need, as he's praying on behalf of his people, he says, I want you to go again. And the servant goes and he comes back and he says, there's nothing master. There's nothing. He continues to pray. And he says, after praying for some time, I want you to go again. And the servant goes out to the sea and comes back and says, master, you get the idea? Master, there's, there's nothing. And Elijah does this seven more times. This is, this is a total of seven times he asks his servant to go out and come back in. At the seventh time, verse 44, we're told, he said, behold, the servant goes out to the sea. He goes out and he sees, and he, maybe he doesn't know exactly what to expect, but he says, well, there's something. There's something different in the environment. So I'm going to come back and report it. I mean, he goes back and he says to, to Elijah, and he says, I want you to, uh, behold, there's a little cloud like a man's hand. It's rising from the sea. It's coming up. It's like, uh, it's like this big. There's something off in the distance coming up. Elijah says to him, go up and say to Ahab, the king, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you because of the floods that are about to hit this land. And this is one of those moments in which it just seems like Elijah is otherworldly. Like he's just... He seems to be connecting to something that is so far beyond what is actually happening. This is an unbelievable thing. Because the contrast of a king, worry-free, carefree, enjoying a meal in the midst of his people suffering, and a prophet connected to the grieving God, 
asking on behalf of their people, will you send rain? Doing exactly what God asked them to do because he knew he was going to send it, but yet it seemed that Elijah had to pray it out. And so the first time, nothing happens. And the second time, nothing happens. And the third time, nothing. And the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, up until the seventh time. And it made me think, I wonder, I wonder how many times, I wonder how many times in my own life have I, um, how do I say this, stopped after the first time. I wonder how many of us have actually earnestly asked God for something or come to God on behalf of others for something. And we look for, is, 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 is there anything occurring? And the first time we look and there's nothing. And it's just nothing but discouragement. I wonder how many of us get to the second time, the third. All the while not knowing there are things going on in the world, moving in our direction. If only we remained breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in. You know why Elijah didn't stop? He wouldn't stop breathing either. He wouldn't stop living. So he's not going to stop talking to God. If, he, if every other aspect of his being is still operating, why wouldn't his soul continue to say, go again, go again? I wonder how many times in my own life has rain been meant to be sent my way, but I have stopped. It got me thinking too. It got me thinking, how many times in my life have I been sent rain because there was somebody in my life who didn't stop? There's somebody in my life who on my behalf asked God, contended with God on my behalf when I didn't deserve it, when I was carefree, when I was enjoying, not really concerned with anything real. I think of this, maybe in my own life, I think of this. I think of this because I know, listen, if any of us here in this gathering, or wherever, wherever we might be online, if we have ever experienced something of the goodness of God, we have, it's, it's a fair assessment to say that that goodness went our way because it's connected to somebody who decided, I will not stop praying for them. I will not stop I will not stop. Yeah, I know this to be true in my life because it would be for 15 years that my mom would pray for me and my dad without any results, none to speak of. If, if there were results, they were bad results because it seemed like life was only getting worse and harder and it seemed like family was about to blow up and explode. But every time, I remember, I remember this, I remember getting into just contentious environments with my family where love wasn't existent, joy wasn't existent, a faith community didn't exist in our lives. And I remember this. I remember after having one of these blow-ups where walls would immediately erect. You wouldn't see them, but you feel them. And there's silence that prevails. I remember walking past my mom's room and seeing my mom pray. I remember her hearing her contending. I remember, I remember when I first decided to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to invite the goodness of God in my life. I remember 
witnessing something that, that was hard for me to comprehend back then. And maybe now that I get the gift of being a father, I may understand. But I remember seeing in her eyes more joy than I felt inside of me. Because it was almost as if something of a wrestling match was done and it was succeeded. I remember that. I remember that. And I, I know, listen, there are not one of us who are a result of anything other than something of God's grace connected to people deciding to pray on our behalf. Many of us are answered prayers. Many of us are. And what we're invited into, Elijah, it's an unbelievable thing. What does he do? He is continuing to pray on behalf of a king, which, by the way, the scriptures, you know what they tell us? They tell us to, to humbly come before God and to ask for his blessing on our city, on our neighbors. Would you bless them? On, on the people we might love and care for, on those in authority over us. Yes, in our employment, ask for God's blessing. Send rain their way. Send provision their way, God. This is what Elijah is doing. Not because he deserves it, but because the Lord said, would you do this for your land? Would you do this? Yes, and this doesn't mean agreement. It doesn't mean condoning. It just means I'm going to trust God that you have wind sending our way. You will send it. You will send it. I will content for it. This is what Elijah is doing. He is praying on behalf of the king of Israel, the unfaithful king, and on behalf of his people. And as he does this, he, he sees a small cloud, which is an unbelievable thing. He doesn't diminish. He doesn't diminish. He doesn't expect dark clouds swirling about with water coming, drenching down. No. He, what does he see? What is the result? Cloud like a fist. That's the beginning of um, that's the beginning of a flood. God's answering. Go tell the king, get his chariot ready, tell him to go because he's gonna he's gonna get so drenched, he's gonna get stopped, he needs to get going home. Verse 45, and in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, which is his home, and we're told in verse 46, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel, which is an unbelievable thing, what we're told here. It's an unbelievable thing because what we're told here is that this wind that came came in, brought in the clouds, and the, they created a dark night of the sky, and the water started drenching, and King Ahab goes ahead on the chariot, and we're told that Elijah goes ahead of him on foot, and he beats him to Jezreel. It's just one of those things. Listen, it, 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 you might see, if you ever see in verse 46, how you, see, you know how you see the hand of the Lord was on Elijah? You see that? Anytime you see that in the scriptures, I'm convinced. I know that it's true that the hand of the Lord was on the person, but I'm convinced the author kind of just said, you know what, I don't know, how else to, I don't know what else to say. Uh, the hand of the Lord was on him. Um, that's the only, I, I have no, I cannot explain it. The best way I can say it was divine intervention. That's the best way I can say it. And so the author would say, Elijah ran ahead of the man in the chariot with the horses. What? Yeah, the hand of the Lord is on him. Uh, I don't know how else to explain it. God, God, God just said, run, Elijah. And he ran. And it's one of these things that women might think, wow, that's just unbelievable. It's remarkable. But can you hear me? It also seems something else is going on here because you might not know this, 
it might get a little technical, but that word wind, that word wind is the Hebrew word uh, ruach. I may not have said that correctly. But that word ruach, it's the same word used for breath. And it's the same word used for spirit of God. And it seems as though what's happening here is that there's something of a physical, yes, wind going on. That it's giving Elijah breath as God's spirit is moving. Do you see it? That there is something dynamic occurring. It's one of these moments in which Elijah's prayers change the environment. And you got to believe if, yes, yes, perhaps it was simply that God's hand was with Elijah. But I have to believe that if I'm the one praying seven times for water to come down from the sky and I send my servant out to the sea seven times and the seventh time he comes back and I'm convinced this is going to happen and it actually does happen, you better believe. You ever hear the saying, he got a second wind? Somebody seems to be motivated beyond reason. Somebody seems to be moving at a different pace, a different clip, and different focus. There seems to be something internally propelling them in the face of resistance. Elijah touches on something for us to step into. See, I'm convinced what Elijah demonstrates is that prayer, listen, prayer awakens our senses to the Spirit of God. That it's in its core, what it is, it's a simple, honest, humble conversation with the one who is very evident and real all around us. That is what prayer is. It's an honest interaction, acknowledging that God, you exist, and you know when we do that, when we pray and we, we breathe him in and we breathe out what is on our mind, you know what happens is we become increasingly aware. The world we live in is far more than the material it's made of. That our days are far more important than the possessions we might have and the education level we might attain to and the different, you know, achievements we might think are extremely important. We may be physical beings, but the scriptures say there is a spirit side to us that connects us to the one who made us. And prayer is the acknowledgement that our soul needs to breathe him in. And look at, what he, look at what Jesus said to him, a very intellectual man, a man who was cerebral, who was a leader of his people in a political and religious setting, ended up coming to Jesus in the nighttime. His name was Nicodemus, and I asked him to put this up there. Jesus is trying to explain this to him, and he says, listen, the wind blows. This is Jesus speaking. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone, Nicodemus, who is born of the Spirit. Which, again, the word that he uses for wind and the word that he uses for spirit in the Greek are one and the same. It's the word pneuma. It says, Nicodemus, maybe you're not understanding this faith journey. Maybe you have to understand this. You don't see the wind, but you see the impact of the wind. 
You don't know where it comes from, but you know where it went. Because you see the trail of it. Let me tell you something, Nicodemus. Such are those who are connected to his spirit. There is something in their senses that are awakened. And when we start to pray as a way of life, we have an ongoing conversation, not one that simply is segmented to a portion of our day, as good as that might be, or segmented to when we are at a certain location, as good as that might be, or segmented to those who are officially ordained to be able to say such things. But when we ourselves have the ability to communicate and use those morning times and use those times as launching times into our conversation, I can't tell you how many times with my friends I'm on an ongoing text thread. It's just one thing after another. And sometimes they tell me, please stop, and I unsubscribe them. (laughs) But the ability to relate and conversate is so natural and human. To do that with God is meant to give us the capacity to breathe, to nourish, and to, you know what else? To awaken us. You know what it it does? What happens to us is that prayer gives us the ability to, to connect our soul, heart, mind, and internal being to God. It does. It gives us the ability to call upon the wind that only God can send to fill us anew. It gives us the ability to invite God to awaken us. God, I know you're here. I don't see you. Would you show me how? Will you show me what you're doing? It's what what Elijah was trying to say to Ahab. Ahab, don't you hear? Don't you hear the rushing wind and the water and the rain? How could you not hear it? Because Ahab wasn't living the same way Elijah was. Elijah, we start to see, you know what happens? Is that we start to recognize a small cloud rising so much more. We start to see that the people around us are reasons for us to say thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for my friends. I may take too granted for... Too often, thank you for my family. Thank you for, for the gift I've been given. Maybe now it's more important to recognize his goodness, it, to, to say, you know what, there are gifts, a multitude of gifts and reasons for us to say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for the opportunities. Thank you, yes, even the challenges that you use to my good. Thank you for my points of struggle that remind me I need you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the points of joy and excitement and happiness. Thank you. Thank you. We start to, you know what also happens? We start to, as we start to take him in, we start to see that there are people he sends our way that they may not know it, but their words are meant for us. Their smile is meant for us, divinely sent. We start to see He's real. He's all around us. You know what it also does? Prayer aligns our hearts with God's good desires for us. It aligns us internally with what he desires for us, which is good. Look at what James says to those who are enduring incredible persecution. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for, invite people to pray for you. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And almost as if once he says that, listen, when a person is right with God, when they pray, something happens. Almost as if their reaction would be, not me then, I'm disqualified, I'm not right. 
Almost as if that's what he would be guessing they would say. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a man. Remember this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's a human being just like us. And listen, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again in heaven and it gave rain and earth bore its fruit. You know what James is saying? Elijah's prayers changed the environment around him. James says our prayers can alter the environment within us. If, if his prayers change the climate around, do we really think that mountains only exist outside of us in nature? Do we not know? Do we not understand that there are things inside of us that are stuck and stubborn to move? They are like mountains. There are droughts within. There are areas within that need water and wind and need warmth of his passion. There, there is an entire world within each one of us. And James says, listen, you pray for each other. You know what happens? You watch your soul shift. You watch an attitude change. You watch something of anger be released. You watch something that locks us up remove itself. This is why Paul said, listen, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with thanksgiving and supplication, make your requests known unto God, and the peace of God will enter your heart and your mind and will guard it. You know what he's saying? It will alter your internal being when we pray. He will shift your soul into alignment. And so many times, listen, if there are some of us, maybe we've never prayed let me tell you, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you think you don't believe enough. God believes in you. And I can invite you to just utter these words. Simple. It's not the last. It's not the only prayer. I, pray, I invite you to utter, God, I give you my life. There are so many times I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. And I can't tell you how many times I just say, God, I surrender to your goodness. I surrender to your kindness in my life right now. I receive it because I know you are good. I know you are kind. And when we do that, we discover something alters within us. What we tried to escape, we discover perhaps this is right where we need to be. And what we are so angry and frustrated about when we have an outlet of breathing out the toxins and an inlet of breathing in his life-giving spirit, you know what happens? We discover that we will always go further with prayer than we could ever go without it. That prayer empowers us to go further than we could ever go without it. So, if we are tired, pray. If we are grieving, pray. If we are sorrowful, pray. If we're wounded, pray. If we're joyful, pray. If we've been knocked down, pray. Watch him get you up. If we're, we're in need of help, ask somebody to pray. Watch him heal us. If, if, if we are pitched in a battle with people we love and we want to contend with them and against them. We want to convince them our way rather than contending against them, contend for them with God and ask God, will you bless them? Will you love them? 
Will you show them mercy? Will you show them kindness? Will you prosper them? Will you give them their heart's desires, God? Would you bring them into the ability to know your love and change my soul along the way? Watch. Watch. Because when we see our prayers answered in the, the, in the relationships and the people we love and we care about, you know what happens? There's something of a wind that will rush into our soul and will get us up and say, oh, it's time for me to run. It's time for me to get moving. There are more things to be done. Oh, may that be the case. May we discover right where we need to be when we invite him into our setting. May he strengthen us and give us the ability to always sustain our journey of faith. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are the one who is able to, to invite us not simply into a conversation, but you invite us to receive your goodness your kindness and your grace. I pray, God, that you would help us shift our lives in such a way we have an ongoing conversation with you and you continue to awaken us to all the good things, all the beautiful gifts, all the way your mercies and your grace is abundant for our lives. And I pray that you give us the ability to be sustained in this season, the next season, for the rest of the seasons our lives have. In Jesus' name, amen.